Welcome to the globaltqm.com podcast, where we teach e-commerce business owners how to source the best products from China, negotiate with Chinese manufacturers, navigate Chinese business culture, and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. David Hoffman is the founder and CEO of globaltqm.com, your team on the ground in China. Hey guys, um, welcome to this week's podcast. Today is a really great session. We're actually interviewing a very good friend of mine, Chris, who is an absolute expert ninja at sourcing in China. And he's been responsible for moving production lines from China to other countries. He's on the industry as in touch. So I hope you're going to get a lot out of this. Hey, Chris, welcome. Hey, how are you? Very good. How are you doing? Oh, busy dude. Busy yeah, dude. I, I know. I know you have a lot of projects going on. We'll touch on them a little bit. So, Chris, just for the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to give a bit of background to you. So, Chris has been a sourcing ninja for the last 15 years in China, and he's worked literally with every major brand you can imagine, from Blendtec, Honeywell, Breville, Cuisinart, John Deere, Medtronic, Binsky, Garmin, Storm, Adidas, and the list goes on and on. So, whether it's Garmin's, sports electronics, mobile phones, medical electronics, home appliances, kitchen appliances. There's almost no product category that Chris has not touched. And he's humbly laughing because he knows that's true. And it's true. Chris also has a bachelor's degree in technology, culinary arts, and a BSME, business marketing economics, and does everything from product design to building production lines, supply chain, quality processing, and also moving production lines from China to all areas of the world. Chris, that's a mouthful. <laughs> You're, you must be a very busy man. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least you have to rely on some of your teams to also assist your needs, uh, which is very critical and very important to do. Yeah, uh, I'll bet. So, Chris, I mean, you and I have had many chats, and I thought it would be some, some really interesting topics I want to touch on and get your perspective, because you're in the thick of things. You're eating, breathing, and sleeping this stuff every day. And a lot of people get their information third, fourth hand from articles they read, from information. So I thought, what better idea than just bringing them straight to where the action is? So I'm going to shoot with some questions. Sure. So everybody's reading about these challenges of power problems in China. Can you give us some kind of context? Is that real? Are you feeling it in production? What's causing it? Tell us about that. What's going on? Yes, it's very real and very clear. Um, the struggles of power is is very transparent, uh, especially when we see it here on the ground. Uh, the current challenges are found around production. The power grids are being directed toward major cities in preparation for the winter months ahead. But uh, also, the lacking is the direct source of the lack of coal power in the hydropower dams, which have been uh, dramatically affected over the past couple of years, which the country really depends on that, that power source, which will be a very major hurdle as these months are going on. So in so, turn, well, yeah, in, turn, sorry, <laughs> uh, in turn, the, the power, being resulted to move over to uh, major cities is, you know, basically to to keep its citizens warm. Right. But it has an effect because most of the production or supply chain or factories are in the rural areas. 
So right. the power from that area is being driven toward the cities. So what happens to people in those areas? They just get no power. They just get shut down. Like, what do you actually see happening on the ground? Are factories coming to standstills? What is the government saying? How are those people meant to survive? Is there a plan? I mean, it, it sounds like they would know this information. Do they, or do they just ignore this information? Or is there some broader plan we're not aware of? Well, there, there has been a lot of leaflets being passed around to manufacturers and supply chain to give the notice of the power is being converted. Um, but the major effect of that is the manufacturers and supply chains, their normal work week has moved from a six-day week down to a two- or three-day week, which is very significant for anyone producing products in China. I mean, hence the delays, right? I mean, six-day week to three-day week, delays, lead times, and probably, I would imagine, consistency of staff as well. Yes. Uh, there's been quite a bit of uh, craziness in the past couple of months. Uh, but if, if you have very large volumes of product, no problem for you. You're being moved ahead in the line for production. But if you have small, smaller builds, or medium-sized, you're going back back in the line. So wow. your lead times are pushing, you know, double if not triple of what they were prior. And is that just because they're taking? Are they more profitable on larger orders, or it's just less work for them? They get more consistency out of producing it, or, or a combination? Really, it's it's quite of a combination, but. China in general has been pushed more toward uh, uh, larger builds. That's the main focus now for China is big orders and big orders come first. Right. I, don't, I, think, I think it's kind of always been like that to some degree, except I guess now with time constraints and power constraints, um, there's less tolerance for, for things that just don't suit them as a manufacturer. Yeah, but at the same time, um, with these manufacturing supply chain issues, it, it's basic ec economics. If you have a very low supply chain and a very high demand uh, for you know your your raw materials, your components, your electronics, that price, because you're you're uh, you're working from a six day down to a two or three day, that price has risen by forty percent. Wow. So, so, so there's a 40% price rise. Is that just on the manufacturing costs in China or is that on the raw materials and everything in between as well? What are you finding and seeing? It's mostly based on the supply chain, um, the parts, mostly in the parts, up to 40%. Uh, in some areas, textiling increased by 20%, but for electronic-based, 40%. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly feeling it in our business, not always up to 40, but I mean, we're definitely feeling price rises all the time. And we're kind of finding the name of the game isn't necessarily fighting for the price, it's fighting for the production space. That's uh, correct. Taking priority. As long as you have those volumes in place, you should be fine, yeah. but you're still going to deal with the cost. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that kind of leads me into the next question. And, and there's two parts to this question. You know, number one is, what is the long-term manufacturing future for China and their goals as China? And where are companies moving to outside of China? And that's a field I want to go deep into with you because 
I know you have a lot of hands-on experience facilitating a lot of that. So maybe let's start with the first part. Shoot the question. Yeah. So the first part was, what is the long-term future for manufacturing in China? I mean, as you see it and as maybe what you're aware of from, you know, the policies that are being put in place and the goals of um, government and industry. Well, that's a very interesting question because um, the long-term, what I can forecast the long-term goal for China is really just large volumes. It's just big money involved. If you're a smaller size company, it's maybe not a good choice to focus your efforts in China. While there are so many new startup companies uh, or, or locations that are being primed for uh, small business. Uh, but I can say, hmm. all right, you're gonna to have to rephrase the question to me again. Yeah, um, no, okay. I, I feel like you've answered the question actually, Chris. Um, I think maybe it's the second part of the question is um, where is manufacturing moving to then for these smaller orders or other industries? Um, and what are the areas people should be looking at? And does it depend on categories? You know, tell us what you're seeing. Well, as far as like uh, many of my manufacturing hubs in uh, materials, labor, assembly, we've moved to areas like Vietnam uh, or Malaysia or Indonesia because the cost is very beneficial, uh, not just for materials or labor or assembly, the overall. How about shipping costs from those areas? Are those well, better or worse? Or? Yeah, shipping costs right now, it's, it's pretty much in the same market now for uh, even like for China. Uh, everyone's in the same loop due to these container issues in the market now. Yeah. Um, it's just a big problem. But if you're shipping products, say, from Vietnam to USA, uh, it's a little bit less cost, and you're paying around zero vet if all the product all the materials are produced in vietnam zero vat zero duty yeah which is yeah there's, there's a lot of trade agreements and i know in the garment industry that's been you know a thing for a long time um so chris here's a question for you a lot of people are going to be thinking this would you say that just about every product category think homewares garments electronics um toys i mean the list goes on would you say all those product categories could be sourced out of China now in small quantities, or would you say it's just kind of, it's kind of a migration still, and it's just certain areas are good at certain categories, and it's not quite there yet. Uh, those categories, I would suggest, yes, are moving out of China. If you're a smaller size for these uh, toys, fabrics, anything, yes, uh, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia are the uh, key countries that are leading the charge now. Uh, Malaysia, just for an example, they used to be a very big size um, assembly manufacturing hub. You know, they've done mobile equipment, they've done home electronics. They were the, your contract manufacturer uh, until maybe a few years ago, it all moved over to China. But now with all the costs being uh, driven, it's moving right back out of China again. So Malaysia is very good for contract manufacturing, electronic parts, uh, but everything else, I would highly suggest uh, 
of Vietnam and in Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, and, and Chris, are, are these um, are these manufacturers in these countries outside of China? Are they the Chinese manufacturers setting up operations there, or are these brand new startups and entrepreneurs that are just seizing opportunity and possibly then also relearning an industry that the Chinese have probably been in for many, many years and perfected to some degree? Uh, this is a very funny topic because I actually discussed this uh, a few days ago with some of my manufacturing buddies. Uh, which are also uh, Chinese manufacturers, which are moving out to China into Vietnam. Right. Uh, but they are going to keep their cost structures that were as of a few years ago, which is not a very significant uh, or competitiveness compared to other companies in Vietnam. But at least they can take existing product, move it over to another area, make more profit margin. Yeah. That's just uh, the end result. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if I had to kind of quantify it, would you say, and I know I'm just putting it out there, maybe you don't know the answer, which is fine. Would you say of all the manufacturing going on in China, because I try to keep things in perspective as well, you know, we've got a client base, we've got, you know, hundreds of Amazon sellers, we've got online sellers and entrepreneurs, we've got retail stores that are bringing in their own private label products. We've got a very mix of base of customer customer base and um to give it in perspective for them they can't all rush to countries outside of china per se but they could start looking at it right so would you say kind of a 10 percent of production is moving out 20 percent as we stand right now you know maybe it's going to increase over the next two three four five years but as it stands right now would you say still it's 90 percent being produced in china 10 percent outside and growing or is that really hard to determine? It's a little hard to determine, but I can say, for example, around 85% uh, is still manufactured in, but it really depends on the type of categories. If you're looking at uh, more of the homewares or housewares type of products, appliances, electronic based, are still being made in China. That's true. But they're slowly moving out of China to be focused more like, say, Vietnam. Because yeah. Vietnam, you can save 60% in labor costs. Wow. Quite critical. Yeah. And the majority of uh, material-based fabrics, polymers, silicone, latex is very known for uh, Vietnam already. So if you yeah. have those key parts in place and they do their own dye house in Vietnam with no issues, that's the place to go. So yeah. that's where I, I have personally two years ago started making the change. Because right. you can already forecast and foresee what's happening in China. It's, it's very good to start doing your due diligence and start moving forward. I think that's a great point, actually. That, that, and that, that's, a, that's a great piece of advice. Is you, it's not something you switch in one day or necessarily a couple of months. You start researching now and doing your homework now and finding out what's available, what pricing is there, getting to know manufacturers so that you're ready for this transition and you're testing samples, you know, maybe doing small trial orders before just making this rapid, you know, jump over. You know, it's almost like finding a new supplier. I mean, that's basically what it is. Yeah, absolutely. You have to do your research. Uh, you have to do what fits you best for your product and your market. Um, you have to do it. Uh, if you don't do it now, uh, if you just jump ship and just uh, 
restart somewhere else, it's going to be a difficult journey. Uh, it's going yeah. to be a much longer quality issues or things that you did not forecast. Yeah. It's good to start doing it slowly and then work your way out. That's yeah, very that true. Makes sense. That makes sense. I think sometimes people get blinded by the cost saving. They don't kind of factor in the cost of mistakes, the cost of quality problems, the cost of the learning curve if you get it wrong by just the dollar price saving. Right, that's true. You can easily get blinded by the dollar savings. Yeah, so yeah it's very good to do your due diligence before jumping ship. Chris, that's fascinating. Um, Chris, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, and I appreciate it. I mean, that's incredibly valuable advice. While I've got you, do you have any cool stories or little tidbits you want to share about your dealings in China that might be interesting? If you don't, that's fine. Just thought maybe I'd throw it out there. Any funny story, good lessons learned? <laughs> uh, there, there's only a, a few things that I, I would say about uh, uh, China, um, just in general. Uh, they're, they're, they are a good producer of manufacturing products, uh, but as a note, do not take promissory notes based on quality and production. You must have your own team on the ground to do those jobs and yeah. to have clear communication moving forward. Or uh, there would be some not so great things that will pop up. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've got a philosophy to that. I, I couldn't agree more. It's like inspect what you expect, right? You, you've got to see it. You've got to see it with your own eyes. That's very, even, very true. Yeah, you're dealing with people, right? And people make mistakes and the intention is there. I promise you, you know, there's an intention, but it doesn't mean it's going to be fulfilled and it's your responsibility to check it and not pass blame later. Yeah, and also be aggressive because if you're not, you will, be, you will not be respected the way you want it to be and you will be taken advantage of by quality, by cost and lead times. Yeah, that, that's great advice. And, and, and to that point about being aggressive, I also think it's important to... Um, you, you can be a lot more aggressive if you're a lot more clear with your requirements up front. Well, yeah, I only say be aggressive because it's just a very common lingo in China uh, because it's the language itself is very aggressive. Right. So if you're not showing aggression, then you're not going to be treated the same or, right. or being respected in that way. If, right. you're, if you're just shy and you're shallow, then yeah, right. you're going to be taken advantage of. Your costs are going to jump up. Your quality is not going to be what you expected. Right. So you have to be aggressive. Right. And, 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 and I mean, are you in agreement that being aggressive before about your requirements is critical because it's hard to be aggressive afterwards if you haven't been clear about what you want because then it just becomes a loss of trust, right? They go, well, you never actually asked for that. You never specified that. You know, you, you know I feel like you don't want to be in, a, in a, a debate whether you asked for it or didn't ask for it. It's easier to be more aggressive or assertive um, when you were really crystal clear about what you wanted and where didn't leave areas of ambiguity. That's right. Be clear, be transparent, and uh, take the action. Don't delay. Yeah. Well, Chris, that's amazing. Fantastic news and, um, and information. And um, I'm going to be watching closely what China do with their power grids and power problems. And there, there must be a long-term plan. I mean, they're a highly, highly educated, advanced government in many respects. So presumably they must have some game plan out there. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, they, they should have. Um, but as time progresses, as time progresses, um, 
it'll be an interesting story to watch but yeah. that's that's fine because i've already moved out the majority of my uh, productions <laughs> so you've you, you made your choice already yeah i've, I've done i'm, I'm not going to take the risk uh, I'll keep the risk as far as if I have large orders and they can do it based on uh, our needs. But yeah. if any other additional major changes have been placed, it's, it's no worries. I've done my due diligence and yeah. I suggest everyone else to do the same thing. And you can't hedge in your bets. Yeah, so you're hedging, you're hedging your bets and have two production facilities and options and, and basically have alternatives. Always have a backup plan. Uh, if you're in engineering, that's the, that's the basic 101. Always yeah. have plan A, B, C, D, and E. Just keep it going. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And, and spending that time doing that background homework and research, even if you don't end up using it, is critical because when you do need it, you know, you've already done that work. You've got to be five steps ahead, I feel. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Chris, that's great. Thank you so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. And hopefully if we get some questions, maybe we'll have you back on and we'll answer some more questions. Let's see what comes up out of this. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Great. And for those of you listening, don't forget, you can schedule a free consultation. Call with us at globaltkm.com where you can meet your ground, your team on the ground in China. And you know, anything you want to discuss or talk through with us, um, we're here to help you. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to the globaltqm.com podcast. So you don't miss a single episode, remember to subscribe to our show on iTunes. We'd also be very grateful if you'd leave us an honest rating and review. And don't forget to download your free gift, our ebook on China sourcing for startups at globaltqm.com slash gift.